Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to New Books in African American Studies. I am your host, Adam McNeil. Today on the podcast, we will discuss a phenomenal new edited volume entitled New Perspectives on the Black Intellectual Tradition. And so this book is actually published by our friends at Northwestern University Press. And New Perspectives was edited by a phenomenal editorial team headed by Drs. Keisha Blaine, Ashley Farmer, and Christopher Cameron. To represent the editorial team is none other then a good friend of mine, Dr. Ashley Farmer. Welcome to the show, Dr. Farmer. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. You know, as you we were saying offline, you know, it's been, it's been about a year. I remember uh, I, was, uh, I was actually at, let me see where I recorded. I actually recorded in the basement of the African Meeting House. Oh. Um, and so, yeah, so I actually recorded it from there. My mother was in town after seeing uh, me do my, you know, uh, thesis uh, a, a discussion at mm-hmm. Simmons College, and now I am back in sunny and warm Florida, whereas last year it was very much snowy in Boston. Yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I said before, what a difference a year makes. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And so um, before we get into um, the text, uh, you know, this is an important edited volume that um, took three phenomenal minds to to bring together along with Northwestern University Press, um, but it's also largely um, indebted to uh, your or your phenomenal organization, the African American Intellectual History Society. Um, so, can you inform us, you know, especially for those who, surprisingly enough, uh, are not aware uh, of the full awesomeness of the organization that which you work with? Can you inform us about AIHS and and a brief history of how the organization was was founded? Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of what makes AIHS interesting or different is that it's a relatively new organization run by mostly junior, really all junior scholars. Um, So the goal of the organization is to kind of foster dialogue, whether that be about researching, teaching, um, archival work, the profession, etc., about Black thought and culture. So our history really began in um, early 2014 when um, Chris Cameron one of the editors of New Perspectives of the Black Intellectual Tradition, um, founded the organization. And originally, it was founded as an online blog only um, to bring scholars together. And Chris went around um, finding what he, who he thought were some of um, the folks doing new and innovative work in Black intellectual history. He also worked very hard to make sure um, that he really covered, or the blog really covered, um, a spread both kind of of time period and geographic um, areas based on people's expertise. Um, and it started out with a kind of a collective of folks um, blogging once a month about Black intellectual history. And by December of that year in 2014, it had a roster of about 20 regular bloggers. So it was already putting up content on the blog almost every day or every day and so. So the following year, seeing the interest that was being garnered from um, the blog and um, conversations amongst some of the bloggers and other folks about the desire to kind of have something that was more than just the blog, 
um, they became incorporated as a 501c3 um, organization. So Chris Cameron started as the president, Keisha Blaine, who's another one of the great editors, I was the secretary, and I um, was the treasurer and remain the treasurer to this day. Um, and since then, we have held, let's see, we're on our, I think, fourth conference coming up in um, March of 2019. And also, we have expanded beyond the blog um, to be able to offer um, book prizes, article prizes, um, the CLR James Fellowship, which helps fund um, research in Black intellectual history for both graduate students and senior scholars, and um, Black Perspectives, the blog that was originally started back in 2014 has really proliferated and we have um, way more folks writing for it. We do, we have a whole book review section um, and we also do um, fantastic roundtables, um, sometimes on a book or sometimes on a particular idea or person. Outstanding. And, um, you know, it's so interesting. I've been acquainted, uh, some, some buddies of mine and I have uh, really been following for a good while now. And so it was phenomenal to see on the um, schedule that uh, the the past year's conference was um, was was at Brandeis, so in Boston, and so uh, we didn't necessarily have to travel far. You know, it's out of Boston for those who are in, you know, who who, who are aware of Boston. It's it's definitely outside of the bubble um, and outside of normal uh, uh, tra- uh, transit lines, uh, but you know, still relatively, you know, obviously close. Yeah, not 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 too far, and so uh, being able to to see everybody that I've been reading about and uh, uh, seeing their work was, was so so tremendous, and um, also why I am so proud to tell my mother and everyone else that I can that I am a, a member and a writer for such a phenomenal uh, uh, academic blog and a part of a great organization, um, and so I also saw um, I guess it would have been earlier this year about this uh, phenomenal. Uh, uh, edited volume, and I knew immediately that once that text came out, I had to get you know some of y'all uh, uh, and, and on the program to chat about it. And so I was so happy when um, when you elected to, uh, to 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 come on the program because you know after reading the text, um, and and you might have seen my uh, my fun reaction video after seeing it on Twitter that uh, I I was uh, very much excited. Um, to, to not only receive the book, but also to read it. And I would say that after reading it, the reaction uh, on the video is how I felt internally after reading it, for sure. <laughs> well, that's good news then. Hopefully more people feel the same after reading it. Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And so um, with that as well, um, you know, considering that this is an edited volume, um, you know, so a collaborative project, um, can you tell us a bit about, um, you know, how long ago the concept was really, you know, uh, founded for for this edited volume as well? Uh, Yeah, so um, the edited volume came out of um, the 2016 conference. So as I said, in 2014, we started the blog, mainly Chris started the blog. By 2015, um, we were a larger organization that was accepting memberships. And 2016 is the first time we held um, our, what is now our annual conference. and so we had um, a couple of publishers ask us um, if we would like to basically develop an edited collection or an anthology based on some of those papers that were presented for the collection. And we thought this was a good idea for a couple of reasons. Um, one, um, really, even from the get-go, even though the conference has only gotten better and better, even in that first conference, it really was a very dynamic group of scholars um, 
that we're really pushing the boundaries of we thought how people do black intellectual history, how people think of folks as a black intellectual and kind of what they define as black thought. Um, and secondly, we thought it would be a great way to um, start to establish um, these conferences as spaces that were not only for people to try out new ideas, but that could eventually become, you know, kind of publications that they could put on their CV and reach a wider audience. Um, so once we chose a publisher, um, let's see, that was about 2016, we um, so asked folks or, you know, kind of sent out a call for those who might want to participate in it. And, you know, um, this is always a little bit of a give and take based on everybody's schedules, um, who is available to participate in it. Um, how far along was what they presented or what they're writing about in conference form and, you know, can they shape it into a chapter? Um, one of the things that I think that we did with this volume, and I should mention that there's another volume following this based on the conference in Nashville as well, um, that another set of editors from AIHS are publishing. Um, but a common theme that we do when we write these volumes or create these volumes is try to have a moment where um, we get all of the, editor, the authors together to workshop their papers and present their papers. And we do this for a couple of reasons. One, you know, it's just nice to foster the community. One of the things that AIHS is great about is fostering community among um, young scholars. But also um, it gives um, the editors and the contributors a moment to kind of dialogue and have feedback before the deadline so that they can kind of make adjustments. And um, often the, for this particular volume, we held it at um, University of Pennsylvania. Um, the last one for the next volume was held at the University of Oregon. Um, but it really just gives an opportunity to kind of work on these um, contributions as work in progress, which we think helps it become a better and stronger anthology and a more even anthology. Um, so after folks um, wrote the first draft, they workshopped it. And then after that, um, they had time to um, write the final draft. So um, with all editing processes, it takes a very long time. Um, you got to multiply that at least by two, if not three, for an edited volume because um, there's so many different contributors and everybody's has got to be um, you know, peer-reviewed, then edited, then copy-edited um, before it can become publication. So it takes several years to get such a volume as this into print. However, um, you know, we definitely think it was worth it. Um, it really does have um, a collection of really the newest and brightest scholars in the field, and it really does cover um, a, diverse, a diverse range of ideas about Black thought and how ideas travel. And and with that as well, um, I, I'm so you know, I, as as I have said on on tremendous uh, a tremendous amount of occasions, um, you know, it's it's very interesting. Like, it, and actually, you you took one of my one of my next questions I was going to actually about that as well, um, because I was going to ask, you know, why now for, for new perspectives? And obviously you answered that. Um, but as a, as a second part of it, um, you know, as you said, like a lot, pretty much everybody involved in this project um, from editors to contributors are, are either junior scholars or, you know, fairly, you know, fairly fresh um, in, in the process. And so I thought about as well, you know, what kind of void do you think that uh, that new perspectives on, on the black intellectual tradition is filling? Um, because it's interesting, too, who, um, who, you know, who blurred the book, right? On the very back, you have none other than the person who's probably written 3,005 books in his entire life being Gerald Horn, right? So, so, so someone, you know, so, so you have on, on the front, you know, the new guard, uh, and then you have someone who's, you know, of the, of the older uh, uh, guard as well with, with Horn. So I think it's a really interesting mix as well. So can you tell us a bit about uh, what you all uh, believe to be like the, the void in the scholarship that, that, new, 
that New Perspectives is feeling? Yeah, so um, one of the things that um, New Perspectives is feeling, and it, I, we should think of New Perspectives as kind of, um, for lack of a better word, a brick and mortar version of kind of what we're trying to do at AIHS um, online more broadly. Um, so we really wanted, well, one of the things that all of us as young scholars were seeing is that, um, one, a lot of folks that are working on black thought, black intellectualism, black thinkers, um, are kind of disparate. Um, you know, there might be one person working on it in terms of, you know, religious thinkers, another person's working on it, um, in terms of what it means to think about fugitivity. Another person like me is thinking about it in terms of black women and black power. So, um, one of the just kind of more obvious voids that it fills is it just, helps readers get all this information um, succinctly and all together. You know, it allows you to, it helps us foreground all those folks who are already doing that kind of work by bringing it together and talking about it. Um, so that's one void that it fills, just kind of that kind of collective um, gathering of minds and writing and ideas. Um, the second is, you know, really Black intellectual history is going through, I think, a renaissance. Um, there is a very um, kind of a spike in increased interest in it. Um, and also an interest in kind of pushing it back against what people generally think of as who gets to be an intellectual and what counts as intellectualism and kind of how ideas circulate. You're starting to see scholars across the board um, go back to sources that we've revisited a lot and rethink um, how we might understand them as forms of ideas traveling or um, thought information. And so of the number of the pieces in this collection, are really seeking to um, fill the new fill the void of um, who else is a black thinker besides um, the big names that we know, besides the Frederick Douglass, besides the Phyllis Wheatley, besides you know the Malcolm X, besides the MLK. Um, what other folks are talking about um, thought? What other folks are theorizing, and how does that shape how we understand black history? Um, and I think finally, it's also just trying to um, fill the void that black intellectual history doesn't permeate all aspects of Black life. And I mean that both in terms of, you know, the secular, the sacred, in terms of the grassroots, in terms of the top down, but also in terms of geographical diversity. Um, our focus or kind of the historiography's focus in the past on a few big name figures has led us to overlook a lot of this. So, you know, I think bringing the scholarship together, challenging who gets to be an electoral account intellectualism, and really diversifying what that means are kind of three of the main goals of the book and some of the ways it helps um, bridge some of the gaps in the historiography. That's awesome. And so I'm, I'm really excited because, you know, after, after reading um, New Perspectives and, and it's so, it's so awesome too, to see um, the, the, the work that many of, um, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm, I'm sifting through it now and, and reading the, uh, the names, if I'm not mistaken, all of the, all of the contributors are actual members of, of, of the organization, correct? Or, or at least very much involved in, in writing posts for Black Perspective, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, they would either be folks, um, the most folks who are the contributors are either regular bloggers or were regular bloggers at one time, have certainly been guest bloggers, and are certainly all members of the organization. Um, and so it creates kind of this wonderful reciprocity, right? Um, you may have come in blogging or may have come in um, through the conference, but now through communing with other scholars, um, through getting feedback with other scholars, not only do you have just an actual real-life community of you know, those engaged in understanding Black thought, you've also got a space to really um, hone in your ideas and publish those ideas for a wider audience with support of the organization. So I, one of the things that I really, really like about AIHS and um, in this volume in particular 
is that it kind of um, gives back to bloggers and gives back to members what they're giving the the organization itself. You know? mm-hmm. and, and and I really like that because what it what it is doing is that you know there are folks like myself who are uh, graduate students or PhD students who are involved, and so I think like it's a really nice meshing. Uh, 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 organizationally, and also looking towards the future of, of different, you know, because I, I I can only imagine like this. You, you even dropped some uh, a knowledge bomb on me about uh, some future uh, uh, volumes that that are going to be building up, and so I'm I'm sure like this is only the beginning um, for you know the kind of you know edited volumes anthologies that that the organization is going to be producing, but it also for me makes me think about. Um, you have folks who are fairly new and you have people in the organization who are graduate students. So it provides a lot of different hands um, who are coming from different institutions. Right. We're not all, you know, a, a lot of folks are coming from, you know, you have a group from HBCUs who are you have folks who are from, you know, Ivy League universities. You have sm- small liberal arts colleges. So I like it because it provides a lot of different um, areas that people can engage with. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, can you tell us too on, on that notes, because your, your four essential themes, um, are black internationalism, religion and spirituality, racial politics and struggles for social justice and black radicalism. Can you speak to us about, um, how you all came to, uh, uh those particular themes for, for, for the collection? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And before I did that, I, I want to, you know, just kind of second your point about kind of the range of folks involved. I mean, one of the ways also that the, the, the volume is groundbreaking is that, like you said, there's a range of, of intellectuals writing this, right? So you're also kind of um, challenging who gets the authority with which to write these things from both the junior scholar level and kind of the diversity of institutional level as well. Um, as far as the, um, the sections, um, some of this has to do with um, our own interest. I mean, you'll certainly see, um, you know, Keisha works a lot on black internationalism. Um, I work a lot on black, you know, black radicalism and racial politics for social justice. Um, uh, Chris works um, quite a bit on, you know, religion and spirituality and secularism in particular. So some of that is our own interest, but also um, some of it is about spaces in which we thought um, we could push the boundaries of intellectual history further, you know. Um, often, particularly in something like internationalism or religion and spirituality, um, there's no shortage of scholarship about um, Black people in these fields, but usually it's more about what they're doing than what they're thinking. Um, and so some of that was a way to um, consciously push back or kind of broaden these themes of Black history that we know so well by um, showing the intersections of the existing historiography and the very new work that's being done in intellectual history on that part. So um, the next volume will um, vary up in the theme slightly as well so that um, we continue to cover the spread. But it really was a choice of, you know, some of our interests, but also where do we think um, some of the best interventions were poised to be made in historiography, kind of what subject mm. areas. Outstanding. And, and, and as well, um, because I, I, I hear us old, like constantly going back to the marginalization uh, of, of really, you know, black, black people in general, as far as who gets to be an intellectual. So can you a bit, can you, can you, can you touch on um, your feelings about, you know, your, your thoughts about this particular subject of, you know, why, 
the marginalization happens uh, uh, and why we hone in so much on a very, very narrow scope on who gets to be an intellectual? Yeah, you know, some of it, I think, is um, just the approach to history in general, typically of any subject, right? Not just um, intellectual history, not even just African-American history, um, is usually a top-down approach. Um, And it's also often usually driven by um, things that we have sources for, um, which leads us to um, organizations or um, perhaps leaders who were so well-known in the community that they're their speeches, their writings, et cetera, have been collected, anthologized, and saved. Um, so some of it is that. Um, and I also do think, though, that um, there is this persistent notion that um, an intellectual is solely somebody who is usually a man and usually is the most popular within a given moment. Um, and that's not necessarily, they're not mutually exclusive. We're just arguing that in um, that focus, we're kind of overlooking or over, um, this focus has overshadowed all the other ways in which people are thinking and doing and um, discussing how their ideas about the world come into being. So again, a little bit of just kind of always the top-down focus, a little bit of sources and what's available. But um, one of the ways in which I think all of these volume or all of the contributions in the volume are pushing back is a discussion kind of not only about what counts as intellectual history or an intellectual, but the kinds of sources they're using to do their intellectual history. Um, I think we're seeing. Um, a, a new push within scholarship, um, not simply in African-American intellectual history, but certainly in it, um, to, um, to challenge what constitutes a source for intellectualism. Um, and so you will see um, some folks reading what we would think as traditional sources, such as speeches, pamphlets, um, treatises, right? But you'll also see folks um, reading um, much more kind of grassroots level um, exchanges, whether that be handbooks, whether that be posters that were, um, you know, put up on a tree, whether that be um, someone's own kind of inner dialogue about their religious practices. So our hope is that we can kind of expand what that kind of top down, um, you know, kind of limited source approach to black. Yeah. And, and I remember this um, even, I think it was, was it a year ago that you were on the, uh, on um, conversations in black freedom studies that, um, at the Schomburg with uh, Dr. Uh, Jean Theo Harris, um, uh, was it doc- was it Dr. Cobb? Was it? Uh, um, you know, I think it was uh, Charles Payne. Charles Payne. There we there. go. Um, mm-hmm, Dr. Payne. Yeah, Dr. Payne and um, Dr. Uh, was it um, uh, uh, Gloria Richardson as well? Because y'all were talking about the legacy of you know an important twentieth century intellectual being uh, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer because it would have been her 100th birthday, right? Because to me, when I think about, you know, what you just spoke about, about, you know, expanding the notion of who gets to be an intellectual, if, if we're not including, if your definition or, or the people that you're, that you're, you're talking about of black intellectual history and black, the black intellectual tradition, I feel that if you're not including women like Fannie Lou Hamer, then, you're 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 the the worth of 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 pretty much the rest of what you're talking about i think is like very much you know yeah and um we still have very few right actually you know there's a collection of her speeches but i don't know that people really think of her as kind of one of the consummate intellectuals of the 20th century despite the fact that you can collect and like a man you can collect her edited speeches and her writing you know 
Um, so it's just really interesting. So, so that, I think that's a really great example of how, um, you know, even though there have been a tremendous amount, there's been a tremendous amount of growth in black history and black intellectual history. Um, there's still, you know, these kind of major blind spots um, or still these kinds of very rigid understandings of who we constitute to be an intellectual. Yeah. And, and that's why I think that um, I think that doing this in an edited volume is so phenomenal because I'll just say my personal stance in this, I love edited volumes. I had never really read much, you know, prior, like I was like, Oh my gosh, gotta, you know, flip to different places. I'm like, it actually, to me, I read edited volumes so quick, so much quicker than, you know, regular chapter by chapter books, because, you know, if I'm not mistaken, pretty much every single, um, every single essay is no more than, um, I believe, about no more than probably 18 pages, uh, give or take. And so it's, it's, it's relatively short, but it shows how much, you know, uh, uh, how much strength is, you know, in each blow of the, uh, of the essays here. Um, and, 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 you know, especially as a, a scholar of slavery, you know, black radicalism, I was, I was waiting to see the one that say that, that was, uh, about, um, slave groups. And so I saw, uh, Dr. Gregory Childs, his essay, uh, Conspiracies, Seditions, Rebellions, Concepts, and Categories in the Study of Slave Resistance. And I was like, oh, snap. I, I could already tell from that title that thing is about to be a, that thing is about to be a banger. And um, uh, most certainly, like every single contributor, um, Dr. Childs and everyone else did not, did not, did not let, let us down. Um, and so uh, with, with that as well, um, do you mind talk, talking with us a bit about your contribution, uh, Becoming African Women, Women's Cultural Nationalist Theorizing in the U.S. Organization or in the U.S. Organization and the Committee for Unified Newark? Yeah, certainly. And I just um, before we get to that, too, I think you brought up a very good point about or, you know, you pit on one of the things we were trying to do. You know, most people, when they think about radicalism, they think of, you know, the late 20th century. So each of the um, sections really does have a broad um, kind of temporal frame with the goal of understanding that how um, black people over time have dealt with a particular idea or issue, um, you know, not just when they were enslaved, not just, you know, in the late 20th century. Um, so for my section, um, it is a um, study of um, black women who were part of um, Kawaitist organizations. Kawaita is a um, version of cultural nationalism um, that functions very basically on the idea that we need a cultural revolution before a political one, or that African Americans um, need to kind of rid themselves of, um, you know, the the holidays, the dress, the hair, the, the practices that um, have become kind of white cult capitalist culture in an effort to kind of prepare oneself for the political revolution. Um, it was a very popular philosophy, a very popular ideology in the 1960s and 70s. Most people have probably encountered the ideology through the holiday of Kwanzaa, which um, was created by the US organization founder, Milana Karenga, who's also kind of the chief architect of Kawaita as a philosophy, and it has a, a whole um, intellectual tradition in and of itself. Um, but one of the things that often happens in these particularly cultural nationalist organizations is um, they're written off. They're written off for two reasons. The first is um, most people um, kind of think these performances of holidays or changing one's name or changing one's dress were not considered as real or as deep political engagement. 
And the second is that um, they did at least the very outset of these organizations have very, very conservative gender politics that um, have given them a bad rap. Now, without um, negating any of those issues or kind of questioning the validity of both of those things, my goal in the chapter is really to, um, you know, just take people's ideas seriously on their own terms. You know, my argument here is that we don't get to cast out a whole group of people, um, in this case, in the Black Power Movement, which I study, simply because, you know, their ideas may seem not in line with what we would think right now. Um, so the goal of the chapter is really to talk about the women who were part of these organizations, um, you know, whether we can, whether they had regressive gender politics or not, thousands of women joined between the C-Fund and, um, us organization and, um, found it to be a really viable way to practice black politics and black power. Um, so the article kind of talks about, um, or sorry, the book chapter kind of talks about, um, these women, why they were drawn to the organization, what it did for them but also reads their intellectual productions, such as their um, handbooks or such as their kind of women's columns to talk about the ways in which they made the philosophy their own and the ways in which they pushed back um, at the kind of conservative gender politics of the group. And what um, I argue is that um, we, should see, we should take both these groups and these women seriously in their own rights, but also um, think of um, these organizations and contestations over gender roles within these organizations as a dynamic conversation within black intellectual history great and, and, and that's what i'm saying like i i've really really enjoyed um uh learning i just love all your work because you know i uh i, I remember emailing you uh about a year ago um uh and and so talking about um you know black nationalist thought and and also looking at like the 19th century versions of that and um and and it's really interesting because you know your work and 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 the work um the the your the, the reason why we came together last year from um remaking black power how black women transformed an era you know all of these bits are just so you know in, in, in important for all of us because you know you you of 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 really of all are is such are, are are so great at you know uncovering um well uncovering for those of the uninitiated i would say um you know the these phenomenal uh black women intellectuals um and, and providing a phenomenal interpretation of their work and how they work to create the world that we're in today um and, and also thinking about what their thoughts of what you know revolution and what their thoughts of uh, of 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 community uh uh, uh are were slash are because you know obviously many of the people that you write about are still alive today Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting when you uncover these kind of dynamic conversations. Um, it's exciting to see. Um, it, I would say intellectual history is very generative in that way. Um, you know, when, when you're really primed to look at it and kind of get out of your mind that it's supposed to look a certain kind of way, you really can find um, some really interesting conversations about all the different ways, you know, Black folk were trying to just not only just get from day to day, but also support each other and also, you know, theorize liberation. I mean, um, you know, for Black people in particular, you're kind of constantly engaging in thought projects about liberation because it hasn't arrived yet. So I think that's why intellectual history is not only so generative, but also a really important history to um, 
you know, kind of record and lift up. Right. And, and I, I remember like I was having a conversation, I was, I was having a thought about this in, in one of my seminars. I won't tell you which one, uh, but I was in a seminar recently and uh, I, I thought it was, it was think it came to me. Uh, I think we were probably talking about intellectualism or something. And, and I had mentioned how probably like, a, I would say a couple years ago, if you asked me what an intellectual would look like, it would be someone wearing all black with a turtleneck and like glasses in like a Starbucks or like some like uh, uh, some, some like coffee shop, you know, that may or may not be in Austin, Texas. And like, it'd be thinking like, you know, that's what, you know, you know, that's what an intellectual looks like. Uh, God knows I'm so glad that I have run away from that notion uh, of what it, you know, what an intellectual looks like, what kind of production what, what does production for an intellectual look like? Um, and, and I would say my, I've been changed and I know many of my other, uh, colleagues as well have been changed, um, because of, of your work and, and the work of, um, AAIHS, which is, which is also interesting on a side note, because I remember, um, when I think it was somebody at, at the conference this past year and, and, you know, they were trying to like AIHS kept on going and it's, it's a hard to think, it's a hard, you know, acronym to, to, to say out, um, in, in a, in a speech <laughs> yeah. or not our best credit for it. <laughs> right. You know, and, and, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's an exercise. It's a, it's an exercise. Um, and so, um, and as well, I think it was, you know, it's so interesting too, like thinking back at that conference, right. That was my first, you know, formal, uh, introduction to the, the, to the group. And, you know, we have in our midst as the keynote speaker, um, uh, in t- the 2019 iteration is going to be, um, Dr. Eula Taylor, um, and, and, um, this past year we had, uh, Dr. Barbara Ransby, um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I found was that one of the most important things that she said was, um, in, in her keynote was, I think something to the degree of you have to find your people. Um, you know, you have to find your people. And I think that, you know, AIHS is a place where I found my people. I found, you know, fun graduate students. I found, yeah, you know, I found, you know, Dr. Blaine, you know, she, you know, she and I had lunch, you know, that, 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 you know, that weekend at Brandeis and, and right. And so like, those are the types of things, those are the type of, you know, bits that, you know, on a day that I randomly was at Publix in, in, in here in Winter Park, Florida, and I saw a friend from, from elementary school, I'd known her for 22 years, um, and, you know, I remember those particular moments of our upbringing, but it's also inter- interesting too, how I speak to you. And I'm, I'm always going to remember those moments, like, you know, with Dr. Blaine or, or going to Dr. Cameron's, uh, uh, talk, uh, or to, to, to his, uh, him delivering his paper, um, or, or seeing you, t- I guess now eight or nine days ago, um, in, in Los Angeles. Right. So those are the types of moments that, I think are so important because those are the ones that people remember, right? Yes. Yeah. And I, and I really think you hit on, you know, kind of what Chris really envisioned in creating this space. Um, and, and in some ways, the ways in which, um, you know, the community has just made it into a thing of their own, you know, we, when it started out, you know, we were just looking for a space for people to try out their ideas, um, for people to come together in conferences. And um, it really has because it's such a rich community because people are so generative um, 
because people are so collaborative. And I really think because people are all on the junior side and, um, you know, um, when, when, when the most senior folks in the organization and or the conference are folks that are only a couple of years in on the tenure track, I think we have a different orientation to kind of collaboration and helping out, you know? Um, and, um, I think it shows in, in the experiences that folks have at the conferences and, um, in kind of the diversity of people willing to write for the blog, because, um, you know, people, I, I don't, I think people are starting to reckon with the fact but people, um, I think really underestimate, um, what a time commitment, how much skill blogging takes. Um, and those, and people's willingness to, to become regular bloggers when we ask, I think is because I, oh, I hope is because they feel like they're getting, um, you know, kind of a, both an online and offline community um, in response and, a, and, and I mean, really quite a wide readership of their ideas, which is great at any level. You know, you don't want to work really hard researching and writing something, you know, if you don't want to share it with the world. Yeah. And, and it's so wild. Like I've been um, the last year, you know, uh, being with uh, new books and African-American studies and then now writing for, for black perspectives, it has been wild when people come up to me and they're like, yeah, I really liked, you know, your piece in uh, such and such time. And I'm like, Oh snap. Like, like, wow. Yeah. It has a really wide readership. You, you will find that you, that, that it really does. And, and because it's written in an accessible form, you know, and, 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 you know, it's not behind a paywall. Um, it really does capture a lot of people's attention and, and it can, and, you know, done well, which I think black perspective does, it really can be an entry point for people both inside and outside of the Academy to just, you know, get in, learn more about a part of history that they're interested in, you know? Yeah. And, and, and on a more somber note, like, you know, my, like, I remember like my, my grandmother, uh, she recently passed and I remember my uncle telling me that, you know, one of the last things that she actually read was my review of uh, Dr. Uh, Martha Jones's uh, Birthright Citizens, a, hi- a history of uh, of race and rights in antebellum America, uh, I believe. And so, you know, I, you know, that's the type of thing that I think is so important because my grandmother would not have been able to read that or have it read to her if not for this lack of a paywall, which to a certain degree um, gl- uh, goes into, you know, our, one of our next conversations, I hope, um, later on which will be about your your like what i told you at uh abwh was uh your archiving while black article f- uh from um i believe it was originally published in um in black perspectives right and so then i think it was a chronicle that picks it up or uh, uh 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 reposted it and so i thought like i said to you um in person like that i think was one of the most important you know pieces of writing published in all of 2018 because to yeah no problem and because to produce work like new perspectives on the black intellectual tradition in some way shape or form you're you're probably going to have to in, 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 you know engage in in some archival work whether digitally or uh, or in person and many times you have even today right you still have to you know go through this bit of you know f- you know face right that this and and to give you an example, like even earlier today, I was at Publix once more, and I had a woman ask me, you know, I'm wearing, you know, I went to Florida A&M University, you know, you're an HBCU uh, grad as well, uh, it's, it's Spelman, and so you know, you know, we you know we we brag a little different like that, right? And so, um, you know, I got my hoodie on, I got my my sweats on, fam, you down, 
and then you know this woman asked me you know i'm getting a, a sample of so, so, some meatballs right and she's like oh well you did you play football at you know i'll tell them where i went to high school you know did you play football there and i'm like no and i was like you know or i played like you know like you know, small level or whatever, junior varsity. And then, you know, she's like, oh, did you play football at FAMU? I was like, nah, I played rugby. And and I was like, and I told her I've been getting a PhD in history. And 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 so, like, those bits right there where, you know, I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to get into the, the, the notion of, like, her being, you know, um, being, you know, mean about it or anything like that. But that kind of bit right there made me think about, your article in the sense of that kind of interaction for some people can push them away from an archival space. Right. And so this notion of archiving while black, like driving while black, like walking or, you know, you know, drinking a bit of coffee or the many different ways of while blacking, um, you know, archiving is definitely not left off of the discussion piece too. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it, it certainly is, it, it affects a different part of the population and it, and it, you know, is not as widespread, but it certainly, um, I don't think that you'll find any black scholar or another scholar who identifies as a scholar of color, not feel, you know, somewhat alien or, you know, alone, um, when you go into these spaces, you know, and it, and like you stand, you, you say it extends from actually the little architecture of the space, you know, it, it, they don't think about all of the kind of artifacts or archives that are on display there and how people from different subject positions have to interpret those. But also, you know, kind of the idea that, you know, you weren't meant to be here. You weren't supposed to be here. Um, you couldn't possibly know what you're doing when you get there. Um, you know, I find that they, like, I've been into, I've been to dozens of archives at this point and I find that, you know, they walk me through the instructions in a way they don't walk, you know, the white man in front of me through the instructions. I'm like, yeah, yep. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm just like, okay. So, um, so yeah, so I just, I think, um, like you said, it puts people off. And if we're, you know, if, if we're really trying to you create history, diversify history, both as a profession and just, you know, kind of what gets to be, um, you know, produced for, for public consumption writ large, then, you know, you have to think about the ways in which we're alienating um, people that might do some of this work. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And so um, with the with the amount of time that we have left, right, I'd love to um, talk more about some of your future work. And also, right, obviously, you can tell by kind of like, you know, how AI chess and Black Perspectives is like peppered, you know, into into all of this. Um, can you talk to us a bit, um, like I said before, as much as you can divulge, right, trade secrets, um, about you know, we're, we're talking about the intellectual tradition. So like that is about, you know, the past traditions and, and how, you know, scholars right now are engaging with the black intellectual tradition. And so with that being said, in conjunction with the actual organization um, and everything underneath it and everyone underneath it, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what do you, what do y'all think of as like the future of of AIHS, what what are what what you know? What is the scholarly world that you know we're trying to build in the in this way, right? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I I, I don't know that I have a lot of specifics for you, but I will say that um, you know we certainly hope that the organization keeps growing. Um, we we purposely keep um, the membership fee low of um, now it's at forty dollars. 
so that um, of diversity of people can join both, you know, just in the online community and have access to the grants and other stuff that we do, but also in the hopes that we'll draw in um, a broad audience for or a broad participation for the conference. So um, we hope, certainly hope to grow the membership. And with growing the membership typically means that the conference grows. You know, I think, um, I can't say for sure, but um, the 2020, I can't say for sure that the 2020 conference will be in Austin, Texas. Um, but we're now in talks, for example, of perhaps extending it to another day, um, which is, um, you know, a manifestation of interest in the conference, but also our hope to be able to provide a space, not just for traditional conference papers, but more workshops on professional development, um, you know, inviting presses and journals to help, um, you know, up and coming um, history scholars learn kind of the tricks of the trade um, and just also commune in general. So, you know, from that standpoint, we hope it gets better. I think. Um, you know, one of the things that we hope to see in the future are more AIHS publications, and that certainly will be the case um, for the next volume coming out, um, the next anthology, but also, um, you know, perhaps um, another form of publication, another form of print publication. I'm not quite sure what that would be yet, but um, we like the, or we're very interested in kind of the reciprocal relationship between the online, um, the conference, and then um I guess what some people will call more traditional publication. Very well then. And, and, and what's next for you as a scholar? Um, you know, you're now at, um, uh, at UT Austin and in a phenomenal, uh, uh, bit, you know, you're, you're between, if I'm not mistaken, um, African, African diaspora studies and also the history department at UT shouts out, you know, to all my UT folks, Dr. Barry, Dr. Michelani and, and Dr. Uh, well, Dr. Joseph is, is, you know, he's adjacent. Um, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's the different. Oh my! There, there's so there's so many. Look at that. There's so many people. It's hard to you know y'all y'all are you know phenomenal down there. Um, and so you know you have all those people down there, right? And so I'm very interested to know, right? What's what's next for you, um, as a scholar? Um, that's a good question. Um, I am finishing up um a little bit of book touring in the spring based on remaking Black Power. Um, and then I am turning my sights, I think, towards a new book, um, which I don't think I'm quite ready to divulge. Um, but um, but will still be, um, you know, in the similar vein of focused on Black women and Black intellectual history. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm headed back to the archive to see what I can find. Um, and I think that I am interested in kind of expanding um, a little bit past black power. So, um, so doing more expansive history of black women's intellectualism and black radicalism, um, not just in the sixties and seventies, but, you know, taking a little bit back further to the early 20th. Phenomenal. And, um, you know, Dr. Farmer, I really appreciate you being on the program today to talk about the phenomenal new book published by our friends at Northwestern university press entitled new perspectives on the black intellectual tradition edited by none other than an all-star team of scholars named Dr. Keisha N. Blaine, who teaches history at the University of Pittsburgh, and she's also the author of Set the World on Fire, Black Nationalist Women in the Global Struggle for Freedom, and she's also the co-editor of the Charleston Syllabus, Readings on Race, Racism, and Racial Violence, along with Dr. Christopher Cameron, who is an Associate Professor of History at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, and he is the author of To Plead Our Own Cause, African Americans in Massachusetts, and the making of the uh, anti-slavery movement. And once again, folks, we've had the esteemed opportunity, y'all, twice in a full roundabout year with none other than 
our friend, Dr. Ashley D. Farmer, who is assistant professor of history and African and African diaspora studies at none other than UT Austin. And she is the author of, as she's mentioned before, the phenomenal book published by UNT Press, Remaking Black Power, How Black Women Transformed an Era, which is none other than also the first comprehensive study of black women's intellectual production and activism in the black power era. Though I am now almost out of breath, I am so glad that this uh, that this particular opportunity came together. And um, Dr. Farmer, it has been a pleasure and honor. And uh, we hope to have you back on New Books in African American Studies. As soon as that, not going to be divulged, title book is going to be published as well. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for taking the time to read the book um, and engage in kind of the process of making it and um, AAIHS. We really, truly appreciate it. No problem at all, folks. And once again, I am Adam McNeil, host of the channel, PhD student in the Department of History at the University of Delaware. New Books in African American Studies, folks, over and out.